Thank you for tuning in to the Star Center podcast entitled Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education. We bring together a community of pediatric providers working to address social determinants of health in their practices. We will share tested strategies, success stories, ideas on where to find community resources, and discuss clinical tools that are educational and practical to benefit your practice and families. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to our fourth podcast episode about COVID-19 and pediatric care. The pandemic is likely to disrupt health systems, including suspending vaccination campaigns, straining child protection systems and social services, and exacerbating existing inequalities. It is more important now more than ever to provide supportive care to our families during the pandemic, including thinking about how to connect families to critical services, how to promote positive parent-child interactions and assistance as shelter-in-place restrictions continue or begin to lift across parts of the country. Hello, I'm Narissa Bauer, one of your co-hosts today. Just a little bit about me. I'm a behavioral pediatrician and blogger at Let's Talk Kids Health. I also have a part-time behavioral health practice in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hi, my name is Sherry Matson. I'm a public health pediatrician in Raleigh, North Carolina. I work for the North Carolina Title V program in the North Carolina Division of Public Health in the Women's and Children's Health section. I'm also adjunct assistant professor at the University of North Carolina Gillings Global School of Public Health in the Department of Maternal and Child Health in Chapel Hill. And I'm Dr. Depeche Nafsaria. I'm a general pediatrician in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, medical director of Reach Out and Read Wisconsin, and also involved with Reach Out and Read at the national level, and the current president of the Wisconsin chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Thanks for joining us today. In this episode, we discuss the COVID-19 pandemic as it relates to social determinants of health, health equity, and policy. So without further ado, I'm gonna start with the first question. What do you believe are critical steps for ensuring that families can continue to access affordable care as the crisis continues? Dr. Bauer, I think that's a really important question. So I really feel access to care hinges on having health insurance that meets the physical and behavioral health needs of children and their families. And we need to help make it easy for children to enroll in Medicaid or the Children's Health Insurance Program or the plans through the Affordable, the plans through the Affordable Care Act. Um, pediatric providers can partner with local social services to help with enrollment of children and families during the pandemic and obviously when we're not in a pandemic, and especially for those families who, are, who may now be unemployed and now eligible for these programs. I'm really worried that those families are kind of lost and do not know how to navigate that system, which can be quite complicated. I think it's also important to let families know that their Medicaid and uh, CHIP or Children's Health Insurance programs during the time of the emergency declaration, they will not lose that actually. And so the federal government has now made it so that families will, uh, children will continue on those programs. Pediatricians also, I really think, need to partner with their local um, state um, AAP chapters to work with their state Medicaid programs that advocate for things that help their patients um, and their families access care. For instance, in our state, Medicaid now allows clients to be able to have the cost of delivery of their medications to their homes covered during the COVID pandemic. Um, and there is also now the ability for family members who are not in the home to be paid as caregivers for those with intellectual development disabilities if their regular caregiver gets sick, such as the home health nurse or even the primary caregiver. 
Also, I really think it's really important to help families as pediatricians to meet their basic needs so they feel that they can address the healthcare, the families are able to address the healthcare of their children and themselves. So I really think advocacy for a living wage for essential workers in childcare and those who are working in other industries so that they can afford food and housing and childcare in addition to paying for office visits and medications. I also feel it's a role for us to have advocacy for work-based policies that help families thrive, such as paid family and medical leave, sick days, pregnancy accommodations, and so that families can care for their children and other family members when they're sick, as well as to improve child um, health outcomes and infant mortality. I also feel that it's important to know about some of the resources through your state where families could apply if they become unemployed or there's a need for food or other resources. Many states have a 211 line or other resources to help families find food, housing, and other resources. We even have texting in English and Spanish on a line to access food for food and nutrition services. Those are many excellent points that really cover so much of what's available for children and families. I like to think of it as a uh, in, in kind of a broad set of um, uh, steps that need to happen in order for families to be able to access affordable care. First of all, the care needs to exist, right? And uh, one of the most important things we can make sure ha happens is that clinics continue to stay open and, and functional, uh, which is a big, big issue for clinics large and small throughout our country. Number two, the families need to be able to come in. And I think Dr. Matson's points about uh, being able to have um, uh, easy access to insurance, maintain maintenance of eligibility and all that speaks directly to all those issues. And then the other thing is that families need to feel comfortable and a sense of trust in coming in. Uh, there's a lot of families right now that are just, um, they're scared, right? They're scared about what's going on in the world, but they're also scared about is it safe to take my child to a clinic? Um, is this a bigger risk? Uh, oh, it'll be okay if I don't immunize my child quite yet, right? And we don't want any of that to happen because we certainly don't want a measles outbreak on top of all of this. And we want families to be able to access the care that they've always needed and deserved and need even more so at a time like this. So I think trying to think about it in, does the service exist? Is it actually accessible? But then also, um, is there a sense of trust and, uh, and safety about coming in? And that's really going to be an important piece of messaging that, that needs to happen. Uh, all of these are, are critical, important steps. Thank you for that. And, and relating on to that point about making sure that parents get that message, how are you reaching low socioeconomic groups during this pandemic where they may not have the resources to access telehealth services or their primary care medical home? So I think that, um, you know, it, it, there's always challenges in trying to reach uh, any group of patient uh, in a way that's effective and clear for them. Uh, and particularly with the lower socioeconomic groups, uh, there can be other challenges there. Uh, many may not have the um, adequate uh, broadband access to be able to use a video type of service. But um, what I've heard from people is that they're feeling uh, at least a sense of connection uh, with their patients and their patients, vice versa, are feeling helped when they simply get a phone call, right? A lot can be done simply through hearing the voice of somebody else on the other end of the line who says, 
I care about you and I wanted to check in on you and see how you're doing. And, and, and even that knowledge that someone's there, I think can be very bolstering. You know, we do a lot of talking about the importance of supportive relationships. And one of those supportive relationships is that professional to parent, family, et cetera, um, uh, type of relationship. So I think telephone, which is still fairly reliable and, and accessible to most people um, by far, uh, can be at least a fallback if you don't have the ability to use um, any of the more fancy uh, services like video, or if families are concerned or unable to come in. Um, you know, they may be willing to come in, but uh, I know in my own community, uh, bus service has been on a Saturday schedule, like around the week. Uh, it's already not so great. And now it's even worse because of use and, um, and uh, infrequency and cleaning and all that stuff that may make it even harder for people to come in. So making sure that uh, we're also making full use of things like Medicaid transportation benefits and so on that people may not know about or may not have uh, accessed successfully before becomes even more important. I, I, I totally agree with, uh, with Depeche about the telephonic care. I think it's a great way to call proactively to ask how patients are doing, um, who do they have to turn to, what are some stressors that they may be uh, dealing with, especially in newborns or even with children with chronic conditions um, or high-risk families and their patients. And then if you have an opportunity to see that there's a need for them to come in for in-person visits and reassure them that the office is safe and the precautions and different things you're doing in the office to make sure that patients are cared for. I've even heard of also uh, practices having hot spots in their parking lots where they do parts of the visit in the car and then bring them immediately in through separate um, sick door, you know, door for the sick visit or for well visits and keeping staff separate so that actually they're cohorted so that the staff are only caring for well or for sick um, patients so that that is minimizing spread. And there are many, many other things that practices are doing to reassure people that the practices are doing keep, are safe and, and will keep everyone healthy. I wanted to also talk about um, the issue about broadband. And this is an issue obviously before COVID. And COVID has really highlighted that there is limited access to broadband and is another force around um, inequity. And so we're seeing this around healthcare where patients can't access telehealth, employees who can't telework or telecommute, and then students who are trying to do online classes and so they're not able to um, have that broadband access. There's something that actually is called digital equity where it's where the ideal is for all individuals and communities to have the information technology to be able to fully participate. And that's obviously in your healthcare, but also for cultural engagement, for your employment, for education, and access to those essential health services that we were talking about. I know that many states are struggling with this, especially states that are rural, like mine in North Carolina, and states are looking for ways to be able to um, access healthcare and telehealth. And I know that we are looking at ways to apply for grants and we are trying to extend that even before COVID and during COVID. I also wanted to bring up that not having broadband access, but having access to cell phones um, and so that you could have the telephonic care or even telemedicine is there's a resource called Self-Link Wireless and there are other resources where, you, where pediatricians can share 
and talk with their families about how they may be eligible. And the way you're eligible is based on receiving benefits from things such as Medicaid or food stamps, SSI, or um, based on total household income. So that is a way, and one example is the SafeLink Wireless, but there are other programs, and those are also great resources to help your patients be able to have a phone and be able to connect with you for healthcare as well in the practice. Dr. Matson, thank you for sharing that. At a time where social distancing is a key uh, public health strategy to slowing the rate of spread, but it also provides a different way to help us socially connect to each other virtually. What do you see as some of the drawbacks of telehealth? Have you, have you heard of any of these drawbacks or any challenges? I think one of the key things that I've heard from colleagues uh, has been that, of course, you have the inability to really reach out and touch the patient, right? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the video frame doesn't always capture um, all of what you can see, right? You might be trying to look at the, the, the parent and the child is kind of off in a corner and in a clinic room, right? You can still glance over there and that's fine. Um, asking people to reposition cameras continuously can can kind of be interfering and, and challenging. Um, so I think there's a lot of kind of uh, uh, issues around that. And then, of course, sound quality, picking up background noise. Strangely, I never thought I'd say that it's easier to hear a parent over their screaming child live than it is over a video link. But there is a difference there, right? On a video link, they're basically, you, you just can't hear the parent. Um, so I think there's a lot of challenges there, but I think sometimes we as healthcare providers discount our, how much information we get from simply observing uh, without even touching a patient and so on. So I think this knee-jerk reaction that we sometimes have that, oh, you can't even touch the patient, what good is this visit, um, gets rapidly changed um, when you realize, I learn a lot just by watching, listening, and 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 connecting there now sure it's going to be really hard to do an ear exam and see if that child has uh, acute otitis media right at that moment um but especially when we're talking about well child care when we're talking about behavior when we're talking about all these other things um there's there's a lot that you can do depesh i couldn't agree more i really think not all services can or should be delivered by telehealth um i think the body language and the observation you talked about is so important. And I think it goes for our patients and families as well. I really think for some people, behavioral health, get it, having a behavioral health like an ADHD follow-up can, can work very well. Um, and some um, of our teenagers and families are, are very comfortable showing us around their home. But I think there are many others who are also uncomfortable and are not able to concentrate or feel that they even have privacy, and the computer can be very distracting um, for, for a number of our patients and families. Um, I also think it's in, interpreter services may be challenging. I've heard mixed reviews on, on how that is working. It's, it's definitely possible with three-way video or bringing someone in on the phone while the patient and provider are on a video. But I think, again, the challenge is if everyone can get access to this and have that interpreter work well. So I think our, our families and our patients where English is not their primary language, I think there are challenges with, with telehealth and the delivery of services as well. These are all really important points to consider, um, especially as pediatricians and other providers are considering how to continue to invite families back into the office 
um, to be continuing to do their well-child visits, their vaccines, and those other critical uh, preventative services, but also being able to serve their patients and their families. I'm going to switch a little bit and um, bring up Reach Out and Read. I think Reach Out and Read is well positioned to address the rapid increase in the use of telehealth to deliver pediatric primary care driven by the COVID pandemic. Dr. Nabsaria, can you talk a little bit about Reach Out and Read and ways you've been reaching families during the pandemic? And how can this model be used via telehealth during this time? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, Reach Out and Read, of course, is the um, now 30-year-old um, award-winning uh, early literacy intervention that uses the regular checkups that kids get in the first five years of life to take that opportunity and really help support parents in um, uh, being successful at sharing books with their young child on a regular basis. Uh, people think we're a book giveaway, you know, because they all say, oh, yes, you come to the clinic and you give a book. Uh, and I always say, yes, but we're actually secretly a parenting support program. Uh, and that's really what's important is not just the book, um, which does is a great tool and actually lets us learn a lot in terms of observing what the child does with the book. Uh, do they bring it over to their parent? You know, all those sorts of things. But honestly, it's the conversation with the parents, finding out what their uh, regular book sharing activities are like, what are possible barriers, misconceptions, and, and so on. So when the pandemic hit, we got some puzzled looks from people saying, how in the world can you do this through, through telehealth? You can't hand a book through the screen, after all. And uh, we said, well, but remember, the connection with the parent and talking and sharing and troubleshooting and, and reinforcing what they're doing is actually the heart of the model here. Um, so uh, actually, just a couple of weeks ago, Reach and Read National Center put together a video, um, which I have to say is amazingly done uh, because it was all filmed during social isolation and we, we, we couldn't send anyone to anyone's homes and so on. Um, and it was all cut remotely and so on. So there, if you go to Reach Out and Read's YouTube channel, you'll find it there. And it's a four-minute video demonstrating how to make a connection with a family. Even if you ignore the Reach Out and Read parts, this is a great way of connecting with families in times of stress, having that conversation, uh, even amidst all the challenges that exist. And you can see a family busily in front of a screen and mom trying to juggle her kids and, and, and make that connection and, and so on. I was going to ask both of you, how have you been collaborating with community partners to identify gaps in ongoing resources? So, Narissa, I wanted to mention how um, and build upon some of what Depesh just mentioned with Reach Out and Read. The medical home is is a really important um, is really important ongoing and the beautiful illustration of using Reach Out and Read within the medical home and that longitudinal trusting relationship that builds with the family over time and the focus on addressing the social emotional other needs of the family and that safe space for those conversations, even if you're not um, doing having formal screening. We have continued to have care management um, and newborn home visiting, as well as some other maternal support services within public health and partnering with practices. We've been able to offer that either through the phone, um, and some people are doing that um, with audio video. So it's been important for us to continue to maintain those relationships and work with medical homes because of that ongoing trusting relationship to have and identify some of these 
stressors that are new for some of the families or worsened because of the COVID pandemic. So that's been important for public health where I work to be working with practices as well. We've also been partnering, as I mentioned earlier, with NC211, which also has been a great resource and, and, ma and making sure that providers are encouraging families to text um, or call for services, as well as childcare, where there is a huge need. And the pediatrician is often going to be the one where families are, are linking and asking questions and the issues of childcare inevitably um, come up as children are are now not able to access childcare. Some states are opening up, but those have been some ways to partner with some of our um, state resources as well. I think this pandemic offers some really interesting opportunities to reconnect with communities. Um, some clinics do an excellent job of this and others, despite being located within some identified community, uh, really kind of still exist as a universe onto themselves, right? And, and don't connect so well. Um, and, and I don't think it's a lack of desire to do so. It's a lack sometimes of not knowing how to even start. Um, and I, you know, the, I was just recently in an email conversation where someone, uh, a colleague reached out and asked um, community members, what did they want? And their answers were, it was all things that clinics wouldn't typically provide, right? And so it, it kind of said to me, gee, there's a gap here. So one, one place to start is um, the STAR Center, of course, has a, a getting started guide to, that can help frame how those conversations can begin. And I think that uh, trying to develop a sense of partnership, trust, and what, what are each other able to do, you know, realistically, um, and, uh, and, and, and then refer to other folks um, in a reliable way. Uh, that families don't get lost, I think is a, a great way to think about this because there's a lot of gaps and resources out there. And I think if we think, oh, well, if healthcare can't do it, then it doesn't happen. Well, a lot of things won't, won't get dealt with. Uh, but likewise, I think that other uh, community services, agencies, et cetera, they really want to know that they have the physicians on their side. They want to know that we believe in them and that we trust them. Um, and, and I think that sends a very powerful reinforcing message to families um, when we are making those referrals and discussing these, these issues. Um, so I think we, it's, it's sort of a mutual exchange that can happen. And while I hope that clinics are starting to return to regular volumes, if they're still you know, kind of lagging a little bit and they find themselves with some open time, this is a great time to actually pick up that phone, get on your computer keyboard, and make those connections. I also wanted to point out in my role with public health is to encourage you to reach out to your local child protective services or departments of social services, because we are seeing across the country decreased rates of reporting of child abuse and neglect. And I think it's important to partner with them to think about how are ways that you can help um, increase awareness of children that are not necessarily in childcare or in, in school because of obviously this pandemic and making community or neighbors and others aware if there are concerns um, or if there are unusual circumstances that um, children are protected and kept safe, as well as not just focusing on the concerns, but celebrating and supporting those families who are doing well and helping to kind of provide that support to those, uh, to those families, such as with programs with the Positive Parenting Program, also called Triple P, 
maybe a great resource to kind of share with families who may not be in, um, involved with Child Protective Services or in foster care, but just in general as a resource, and those resources are available online um, and not just in person. Right. Thank you so much to both of you for being on the show today. I've really enjoyed hearing um, all the wonderful resources, all your thoughts on how to continue practicing uh, in this new normal time and um, other ideas to continue to promote messaging to families of the importance of well child care, coming to see your pediatrician and continuing to promote those um, important parent-child interactions through Reach Out and Read and Positive Parenting. A pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education Podcast. For more information or to learn more about the resources referenced during this episode, please visit our Screening Technical Assistance and Resource Center website found on aap.org screening.